0: So, one week after the election, some of us might be quite um, pleased by the result and quite hopeful about um, the years to come with this government. Uh, Others of you might be, actually, I'm going to do this. Others of you might be quite um, discouraged or disappointed and actually feeling a bit pessimistic about the next couple of years for Australia. And maybe some of you actually don't really care that much at all about it well, I wonder what God is feeling about it. Have you ever kind of stopped in the last couple of weeks to kind of ask that question? What does God think about the state of politics in Australia? And if we knew the answer to that, how would that affect our part in our society? How would that affect the way that we engage in politics? Well, in this chapter in Jeremiah, God is actually pretty clear about what he thinks um, yeah, about politics um, in the kingdom of Judah at the time. So I want to encourage you to have your Bible with you and open. Um, I was hoping that you would pick them up as you came in. So if you've got one around, that would be great to have open at chapter 22 of Jeremiah, which is on page 710 of these red Bibles. Or if you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to have that open in front of you. And so to provide some context again, this is the fifth sermon in our series through the book of Jeremiah. Last week, Andrew spoke about the infectious nature of lies and how that contributes to our spiritual decline and the downfall of societies. And in this series, we've been listening to what God said to his people through the prophet Jeremiah in the process of steep social decline where all levels of society were breaking apart, and where this nation was heading for its worst disaster in its history. Now, I don't know if you've thought much about that, but to give you a sense of how horrible it was. When the city was under siege by the army of Babylon, they were under siege for quite a number of years. And the people, the citizens of Jerusalem who were trapped inside, experienced an incredibly severe famine. It was so severe that they actually turned to cannibalism to survive. That's Jeremiah 19, verse 9, if you want to see that. And when the city was finally conquered, it was burnt and utterly destroyed and anyone who survived the horrors of that war were then taken captive and led into exile in Babylon. So it was a horrific, dark time in the history of the people of God. A time so horrific that God wept for the state of his chosen people. But why did it come to this? We've heard about how idolatry and deception have an incredibly significant impact on the nation and now in Jeremiah 22, God turns his attention to the kings, to those who are supposed to be responsible for the well-being of the nation. Now, to give you a bit of context of um, the kings uh, in Jeremiah's time, there were actually five different kings ruling in the kingdom of Judah. King Josiah, uh, who was a good king, which was unfortunately a rare thing, King Jehoiahaz, who only reigned for about three months, King Jehoiah Kim, who was a bad king, and we'll hear more about him in a minute, King Jehoiah Chin, who had the terrible role of being king during uh, the final Uh, aspects of the siege on Jerusalem for three months before being taken into exile but he was also a bad king and King Zedekiah who was a puppet king appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Another bad king who was the last of Judah's kings and all these kings were descendants of King David, the king whom God promised would always have a dynasty. But what were these kings supposed to do? For a bit of background, further background about kings in the Bible, I want us to go right back to Genesis 12, when God called Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1 3, we read that God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation and that all the peoples of the earth, all the nations, would be blessed through him. So God wanted Israel to be a blessing to the nations. There was something about them as a nation That would make God known and bring blessing to the world and then when we look to the law that God gave the people of Israel after their exodus from Egypt in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 14 to 17 we read that kings were not to accumulate wealth for themselves or have multiple wives for that matter they were to read the law day and night to live and breathe the law so that they would know it and follow it and not turn away from it. They were to revere Yahweh as their God. They were to not consider themselves better than their fellow Israelites. And they were to listen to and obey God's instructions, which often came through God's prophets. So we get this picture that the kings were actually meant to be sold out for God. They were the ones who were to set an example of worship of faith and obedience. They were to live and reign with humility and integrity under God, their eternal king. And they were not to rule like the nations, well, the kings of the other nations around them who pursued their own wealth and sexual pleasure. But they were to be different, to show the goodness and righteousness of God. The nation of Israel was to embody in its national life God's intentions for all human relationships, for human life to flourish. They were to be a community that functioned as a paradigm of God's purposes for humanity, as people in right relationship with God and so consequently in right relationships with each other. And the result would be the worship of God beyond the nation of Israel to the ends of the earth. So let's look now at Jeremiah 22. Sorry, I'll go back to that. Um, So in verse 1 we read, this is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and proclaim this message there. Hear the word of the Lord to you, King of Judah, you who sit on David's throne, you, your officials and your people who come through these gates. So Jeremiah is to proclaim God's message to the King of Judah. Because it doesn't specify which king, the address seems to be a general address to the king and to all who serve the king and are associated with the king. So in today's equivalent, it would be to the elected government, to all elected MPs and public servants, And because we live in a democracy, to us as well. And so we notice that there's no level of society that is immune from or can hide from God's judgment. Verse 3: this is what the Lord says: Do what is just and right, rescue from the hands of their oppressors those who have been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. So here is where God reminds them of their role, of their duty as protectors and leaders of society. The first reminder to do what is just and right reflects the very character of God. And throughout the Bible, we see this pairing of justice and righteousness used again and again to describe God. In Psalm 33, verse 5, we read, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love. Psalm 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 103, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So we see that he is a God who is right and who acts rightly and with loyalty and faithfulness in all his relationships. There's no wrong in him, not at the level of his desire or his will or his actions. And he's a God of justice. That this means that he acts in accordance with his perfect values, that he values love and not evil. He values restoration, not destruction. He he values the flourishing of life, not its diminishment. The dignity of his created beings, not their shame or their mistreatment or abuse. And he loves the right ordering of relationships so that all his creation can flourish as he intended. This is what it means when we think about God's righteousness and justice. And verse 3 of Jeremiah spells it out, doesn't it? The kings were to rescue those who were oppressed, those who had been robbed, both literally in terms of um, being the victim of a, a crime of robbing and more broadly in terms of the robbing of one's dignity. In other words, if anyone had been a victim of a crime or mistreatment, it was the role and responsibility of the kings, of the nation's leaders, to rescue and save them do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. And so they were not to mistreat the vulnerable. Just as they were to rescue victims, they were then not to victimise other vulnerable people in the community, the refugee, the orphan or the widow. And they were not to shed innocent blood. They were to value life, but more deeply than that, They were to ensure that their system of justice had integrity, that innocent people were not treated as guilty, to ensure there was no miscarriage of justice, because it's the proper administration of justice that guards the very fabric of society. And already in these two verses, we have such a rich description of what is just and right and what that looks like at the level of government, don't we? And then in verse 11, this chapter zooms in to Shalem, King King, uh, Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. And it gives us a taste of how badly the kings had failed to obey God's standards and to live up to what they were meant to do. We see that he had built his palace by unrighteousness, by injustice, by extorting his people, and oppressing them for his own selfish purposes. So he lived in luxury while his people suffered. And in verse 17 it tells us, This king's eyes and his heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. This is the exact opposite of doing what is just and right. And later in Jeremiah, in chapter 36, we read how one of Jeremiah's scrolls is being read to this king, King Jehoiakim. And as God's words through Jeremiah are being read to him, he's actually cutting up pieces of the scroll and just throwing it into the fire. This is happening at a time when the Babylonian army is only about 80 kilometres away from Jerusalem. So that would be like, a foreign invader being on the other side of Kuirap, and the King of Melbourne being completely unperturbed, not only by the threat at his doorstep, but by the truth and the judgment of God's words. King Jehoiakim rejected the word of the Lord, and in his arrogance he considered himself better than his people and better than God. The consequences for the nation were horrific in verse 15 it says does it make you a king to have more and more cedar did not your father have food and drink he did what was right and just so all went well with him he defended the cause of the poor and needy and so all went well is that not what it means to know me declares the Lord. God points to King Josiah, the good king who obeyed the law of God, who did what was right and just. God points out that because he did justice and righteousness, because he defended the cause of the poor and needy, it went well for his rule and his nation. There was blessing that flowed to the whole nation because of his obedience. And what is awesome about this verse is the connection between defending the cause of the poor and needy and knowing God. And when we think about why God created us, it was so that we could know him, so that we could enjoy relationship with him and could share in his delightful glory. And remember in John 17 three jesus prays his will for humanity he prays that this is eternal life that they may know you the one true god and jesus christ whom you have sent so when god says through jeremiah that josiah knew god because he acted in defense of the poor and needy it means that he knew and understood god's heart it means that king josiah was united to god by acting in accordance with the heart of God, because he had a right understanding of God as the eternal king of the cosmos and the rightful ruler of the nations. He had a right understanding of his position as a human king to represent God and God's ways, to represent God's righteousness and justice as one who was under God's sovereignty. And here we see so clearly, don't we, that God's not a fan of the abuse of power. He's not a supporter of the accumulation of wealth at the expense of others. And he's angered by injustice and dishonesty that leads to oppression, exploitation, extortion and the crushing of innocent and helpless lives. God is on the side of the poor, the needy the oppressed and the victimised. He's on the side of those who bear the brunt of injustice. In the midst of this word of judgement, only a few verses ahead in Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah also speaks a profound word of hope. Though human kings will stuff it all up and ruin their people and be horror makers, God still had a plan. God promised that a righteous king will come who would be the definitive king of God's people. And we know that this man was Jesus. Look at with me at chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Let's read. It says, "'The days are coming,' declares the Lord, "'when I will raise up for David a righteous branch.'" a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, our righteous saviour. Jesus, the king who saved his people. But we know when Jesus came that he didn't actually bring with him a political kingdom. He declared that the kingdom of God was near, but he showed that his kingdom was not of this world. He made his kingdom's power felt through his words and his works, and as he called for people's repentance and radical turning to God. Yet even so, he did demonstrate a radical concern for our political reality. He demonstrated a political posture that condemned the pride of power, a posture that sought peace and the love of one's enemies, a posture that blessed the poor and the powerless. Just as an example, in Matthew 23 verse 23, Jesus condemned the Jewish leaders for doing their religious rituals without doing justice. Woe to you, he says, You tithe your mint and your dill, but you've neglected the more important things of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. Are you hearing this, guys? God showed himself his righteousness and his justice through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus showed us God's love of justice and mercy as he lifted up the lowly, as he hung out with the outcasts and the marginalised. Like when I said before that God's on the side of those who bear the brunt of injustice, isn't it profound to think about the eternal King Jesus, so identifying with the oppressed that he himself suffered under the injustice of politics, of political envy, greed and convenience. Along with all other sins, on the cross, he bore the weight of the sin of political corruption and injustice as well. And when we stop to put ourselves in the picture, we realise that we are the ones Jesus considered poor and powerless and worth dying for. We were the ones in need of saving. We were the ones held under oppression of sin and evil, unable to claw ourselves out, unable to save ourselves. It was Jesus who rescued and delivered us, liberating us from captivity to sin and evil and freeing us to live in relationship with God once again. We who were once trapped in poverty of spirit have been given abundant life in Christ. We who had distorted the image of God within us by our sin have been cleansed and changed, have received the very spirit of Christ so that we can bear Christ to the world. We have received a spiritual transformation, but it's a spiritual transformation so powerful that it transforms our very identities our relationships, our communities, our society and our world. This is the power of the gospel. This is the blessing to the nations that God had promised Abraham. This is the blessing of the church to the world today. Jesus, our righteous saviour. So what does it mean for us as representatives of Jesus' kingdom, living in a secular democracy? How do we represent Jesus' righteousness and justice in our lives and in the way that we engage and participate in this democracy? What principles can we take from this passage in Jeremiah 22? Firstly, I think we simply just need to be engaged at least We may not be kings ourselves, I don't think any of us are, (laughs) but we are citizens of a democracy and therefore we also bear the responsibility of our political leaders' decisions. Just as Jeremiah didn't shrink back from bringing the word of God to the palace, so we shouldn't shrink back from bringing the gospel and God's love for justice and righteousness to our parliaments to our spheres of political debate. Secondly, we need to be aligned with the heart of God. What issues do we think are important for Australia? What priorities do we have for politics? If we scratch below the surface, often we find that we're more concerned about our own good, and perhaps not the common good. In light of God's words that we've read today, I think Christians should be people who are concerned about policies that help lift people out of poverty, that protect the rights of the vulnerable, that support victims and refugees to find a life of safety, security, and well being in our community. I'm not identifying with a political party here, but I'm saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the very character of Christ is a corrective to political ideologies, whether conservative or progressive. But here's the clincher for us. Would we be willing to vote against our own interests if we understood the heart of God, if we understood his heart for others? Would we be willing to change our own political worldview to align with that Would we be willing to change our lives to align with that? For me at the moment, I'm trying to change the way I communicate uh, so that it aligns with God, especially when I'm talking about politics. And I'm sure a lot of us have been having quite a few conversations lately. (laughs) Um, Now, my family is um, pretty big on talking politics. I kind of grew up with it as dinner table conversations, politics and religion, you know. Uh, and I'm also a very passionate person, especially on issues of social justice. So, sometimes the way I talk can actually be quite you know, full on and can actually put people off, as my loving husband has um, shared with me. Kind of put people off when you say it like that. So, I'm actually trying to learn that, um, yeah, like that I need to kind of temper my passions in order that my message can actually be heard and I can actually be doing more justice to the cause by learning how to speak in a way that's not too full on. But, you know, political conversations can very quickly become heated and critical and negative, can't they? And if you're anything like my family, political conversations can quickly kind of sink into a sense of despair and hopelessness. And I've noticed for myself as a Christian how hard it is to move conversations beyond that and to speak with grace and compassion and hope. And how hard it is, yeah, to temper my passions in order to have a respected platform and to speak in a way that changes the direction of the debate to a constructive and helpful and hopefully godly place. I'm not there yet, but I'm mindful of it and I'm on the journey. And I think this is just an example of one thing, one way of learning to be aligned With the heart of God. Which brings me to my third principle that I think we ought to consider is that our political engagement needs to be backed up by the integrity of our lives. How do we demonstrate concern for justice? How do we live our lives in a way that defends the cause of the poor and the needy? We need to be people who are not just talking the talk but are walking the walk. And as Christians, the church should be demonstrating to our world that we are not simply about high moralising about this is right and this is wrong, but we should be exemplars of God's love for right relationships and right dealings towards the defenceless and the powerless. Maybe this is a challenge for us at the level of our vocation. For me, this was why I became a social worker and it's actually now why I'm pursuing becoming a minister. For some of us, the challenge is about what we do beyond the giving of our finances. Maybe we need to start giving with our time. Perhaps volunteering with a Christian charity like Echo and doing some direct work with some people who are experiencing the hardships of life. And for others, maybe this is a challenge for us to go beyond our comfort zone, to try to connect with and befriend someone Who's struggling and socially margin- marginalised? And this is such a challenge, isn't it, to go beyond our comfort zone in the way we relate? But I just want to encourage you to start somewhere. Maybe it's like the homeless guy on the train that no one wants to sit next to. Maybe it's the mum who's always standing by herself at school pickup. Maybe it's the old man down the street who no one kind of ever sees stepping outside anymore. We need to get on with living out the transforming power of the gospel, doing justice, loving mercy. Just as I close, I want to read um, a quote from John Newton. He's the man who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace and who repented of being a slave trader. He said, I am or would be of no sect or party, civil or religious, but a lover of mankind, It is my part to mourn over sin and the misery which sin causes, to be humbled for my own sins especially, to pray for peace and to preach the gospel. Other things I leave to those who have more leisure and ability and I leave the whole to him who does all things well. You see, above all, like Jeremiah, we need to be people who pray for God's mercy in our nation and our world who pray in lament for the sins of our leaders and our nation who pray for peace and the flourishing of life for all people we need to be people who are connected and united to the very heart of God who know God and who weep with God and who preach the gospel of Jesus with our words our deeds and our lives. I believe this is how we can transform politics and play our part in Jesus' kingdom. Amen. So, we're going to spend some time praying in response to our message this morning. And as I pray and lead us, I'm going to leave time of silence just for you to um, bring what is especially on your heart to God in prayer. So would you close your eyes and please pray with me. God of justice, God of righteousness, we want to know your heart more deeply. Give us your heart for the poor and the needy Give us your heart for our nation. Give us your heart for those in political leadership. May we be people who are engaged in your kingdom work among the poor and the oppressed the needy and the marginalised. May we be people who speak out against injustice, against the abuse of power, against greed and against neglect. May we be people who are committed to the common good. Give us grace to reach out to those in need so that we may achieve change inspired and empowered by the gospel which leads to human flourishing and the renown of Christ. God of righteousness and justice, We pray for our political leaders at the local, state and national levels and for all who serve in public life. We pray especially for Scott Morrison and for all those who form government. Grant them wisdom and skill, understanding and integrity that they may uphold human rights and the dignity of all people, especially those who are vulnerable, powerless and poor. Protect our governments from corruption and the temptation of self-serving and grow within them the courage to stand for what is right and just. And we pray for our media, that you would direct those who influence what we see, hear and read. May they do their part in making the heart of this people wise and its will righteous. And finally, we pray that Australia would be a nation where all people are afforded dignity, inclusion and the support they need to find fullness of life. We pray for all who are homeless, for refugees, for unemployed, for all who are abused and neglected, for all who are alone. We ask, God, that you would right the wrongs within Australia and restore justice where it is lacking. And may you, Jesus Christ, be the ultimate king of this nation, establishing your kingdom of grace for the love of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.